On June 7, 2021, Alec Murdoch returned home to find his son Paul and his wife Maggie had been brutally murdered. A distraught Alec told police that he had just arrived home and suspected that they had been killed in retaliation for his son's involvement in the death of Mallory Beach. But as the police investigated the double homicide, they realized that Alec's story wasn't quite adding up. And soon, the information uncovered as a result of the investigation would leave even Alec's closest family and friends wondering how they could have been fooled for so many years. I'm Marina. With me, I have my best friend, Laura. And this is Grim. talking for so long prior to starting recording that I was just going to like take a sip of my drink and just hey, I forgot we were recording. We're so casual now. <laughs> yeah. We're just flow, so loosey goosey, which yeah. means this one will be like off the rails. I can because, already tell. Yeah. Yep. Because we're really loosened up and ready to go. Mm-hmm. I am really excited because I actually, because we were having such a long conversation prior to this unrelated, believe it or not, to true crime, uh, I forgot completely where you left us at the end of part one. So yes. I'm very, very excited. So this is part two of three dun, dun, dun. <laughs> of Murdoch Mayhem. But before we start, we got to give a big old Patreon shout out to our newest Patreon gremlin, Jenny. Oh, we love you. Jenny, we love you. We love you, Jenny. Our love for our gremlins is absolutely free, but if you'd like to buy us a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, which we definitely need, mm-hmm. and you want some extra bonus episodes, check out our Patreon. Just go to patreon.com and search Grim colon a true crime podcast. Mm, okay, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so for this case, I mentioned in the first episode, I watched The Murdoch Murders, A Southern Scandal on Netflix. Very well done. It keeps suggesting it to me on Netflix. I'm like, no, not yet. <laughs> not <laughs> I yet. can't. Not yet. <laughs> Uh, I also listened to a lot of the trial testimony. I watched the Dateline special called Dark Waters and also the one called The Trial of Alex Murdoch and read a gazillion bajillion articles, approximately. I am not surprised. Approximately. Mm -hmm. And so when we last left off, I mentioned that on June 7th, Alec went to his office to prepare a financial disclosure in preparation for the hearing on the motion to compel in Mm -hmm. the Mallory Beach case uh, that was scheduled to proceed on June 10th, 2021. That night, when Alec went home to Mazelle Farm, he found Maggie and Paul shot to death. Crazy. In the eternal words of Dane Cook, let's go back. (laughs) I'll fucking kill you. Let's go back. Let's start at the very beginning of Alec's day and talk it through. And I'm just going to note, this is Alec's day as he explained it to police before the trial. (laughs) I am so excited. When you said, I think I might make this three three parts... And the last part will be a lot of the trial and all that stuff. I was like, heck yes, because I always want to get into it. I'm just, I only understand so much and, you know, I don't know. So I'm excited. There's a lot. There's a lot going on in this case. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have an inception of a case within a case again in this case, (laughs) in case you were hoping for a case. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, on June 7th, 2021, the day started like any other. Alec got up and got ready for work. Maggie got up early for an appointment in Charleston as she had been having some medical issues and Alec either left shortly after or he may have fiddled around a bit around the house. 
You spent about six hours working at the office. You know, we all have like a standard six hour yeah, work yeah, day. naturally. Especially when we make like millions of dollars. Yeah, right? for okay. sure. Two cool. million, six hours cool. a day. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> he was working on a large case with several motions due in the coming weeks. And he was also working on that financial declaration for the boat case. He left the office earlier than usual that day, around 530. And him and Paul got home around the same time to Mazelle. Alec and Paul rode around the farm together in separate black and white pickup trucks. Just doing the farm thing, putzing around. They checked the fields and were looking for hog activity. <laughs> I guess hogs don't come out in the daytime, but you can look for signs of them when they root around in the fields in case you needed to learn something about hog hunting from a true crime podcast. Well, maybe you do because do we not forget the Jason Landry episode where we had questions about hogs eating people? So like maybe we do need to know about hogs. When he was a young warthog is like, when he was a young warthog is like the favorite, my favorite thing that Colby's ever done ever. Oh, right. Just, it'll never. Oh, we weren't just singing. You were referencing. Okay. I was, we, you were just singing. I was referencing. <laughs> Alex said him and Paul talked about everything while riding around the farm. They discussed Paul's blood pressure issues and swelling that he was experiencing in his feet. Alex said he believed it was tied to the pressures of the boat crash, and Alec and Maggie had been asking Paul to go to the doctor, but he hadn't gone yet. He was very stubborn, but Alec was concerned, and he was concerned about the pressure that his son was under, and it sounded like Paul was finally going to give in and get checked out now that he was actually having physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. Maggie came home a few hours after Alec and Paul had gotten home. Alec couldn't remember if she stopped by to talk to him and Paul when they were out by the shed or if she'd gone straight to the house and they met her there. Maggie wasn't supposed to be coming home that night from the Murdoch Beach house, but Alec thinks she came home because Maggie was worried about him. Alec's father was in failing health, and he said Maggie wanted to be there to support him. Mm. Alec, Maggie, and Paul had dinner together that night, as they usually do. After dinner, Alec went to relax on the couch and dozed off around 8.30. He woke up from a nap around 9 and decided to go visit his mother. He tried to call Maggie and Paul, but neither answered their phone. He texted Maggie to let her know that he was going to go check on his mom, and he left around 9 p.m. Alec's father was in the hospital with terminal cancer, and his mother had late-stage Alzheimer's. Mm, that's hard. It is hard. Alec said that his mother seemed to be in an extra agitated state whenever his father wasn't home, like she could sense his absence. Oof. So he went to go visit his mother and sat with her for around 45 minutes to an hour. Around 10 p.m., Alec returned home to the Moselle property. When he got in the house, Maggie and Paul weren't there, so he figured they must still be by the kennels. He got back into his Suburban and drove down to the kennels, and that's when he saw Paul and Maggie lying on the ground, and he knew it was bad. He ran up to Paul first and tried to flip Paul over because he was lying face down. Paul's cell phone had been in his back pocket and fell out when Alex tried to flip him over. Alec picked up his phone, but then thought better of it and put it back down on top of his pants on his right buttock. He had mm. the presence of mind to preserve the crime scene. <laughs> okay. Alec then tried to check Paul for a pulse, and there was none. He then ran over to Maggie and checked her for a pulse as well. At 10.06, Alec frantically called 911. He told the dispatcher his wife and son had been shot badly and they weren't moving. He said there was a lot of blood and that he could see brain. Oh, oh. Dispatch asked if Paul or Maggie were breathing, and Alec said no. The dispatcher asked if anyone else was around, and Alec said he had just gotten home. The dispatcher asked if anyone was expected to be on the property. Alec said no. Alec did tell the dispatcher he was going to go back to the house for a gun, given the brutality of the scene that he had stumbled onto. He feared that the killer could still be at large and wanted to make sure that he had protection. I, 
I'm trying to pretend I don't know there's a trial and all these other bad stuff around it. I'm trying to think if I were like the dispatcher <laughs> listening to this, I guess right. that might make sense. If you were thinking somebody's on the property trying to, they've killed two members of your family and you're just trying to protect yourself. I guess that makes sense. Well, yeah. If I came upon it, so first of all, they had a lot of guns and they oh, were right. hunters yeah. and there's guns everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. If I came upon someone with a True. gunshot wound, mm-hmm. I would go get a gun. Okay. That's because fair. someone's yeah. near you with a gun in, yeah. in the general vicinity, right? That's I mean, very true. It does make yeah. sense. Yeah. And the dispatcher was like, that's fine. Can you just like not be holding it when the officers <laughs> get there? That would be really great. And he's like, good. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The dispatcher told Alec not to touch Maggie or Paul in case there was evidence on the bodies that the officers could collect. Alec told her that he had already touched them, but just to see if they were breathing. Alec then told the dispatcher that he was going to hang up so that he could call his family. Hmm. When police and EMTs arrived, it was clear that Paul and Maggie had injuries incompatible with life. Paul had been... That is is a rough way to put that. (laughs) Like, yeah. That, like... That's like a lawyer way to put that. <laughs> that is actually, I, that's, you hear it in court and in really? like, yeah, from police officer testimony, their injuries were incompatible with life. Wow. Mm-hmm. You can't just say it killed them. I wonder why, like if it implies okay, cause. Well, here I, I'm go. sorry. Paul and Maggie had injuries and were clearly dead. <laughs> Thank is that you. better? <laughs> Thank you. See, why wouldn't you say that? <laughs> just be real up death. front. No, just, incompatible with life. I mean, oh yeah. Their injuries were very compatible <laughs> with death. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. That's really terrible that they died. I'm sorry, but... we do this. This is like the comedic yeah. relief before yes. I tell you the most horrific yeah. piece of this. Yeah. Although so... I'm still pretty mad at Paul, so. <laughs> I know. Well, you're going to feel a little bit bad for him in a second. Okay, go on. Paul had been shot close range in the chest and head with a shotgun. Oof. Oh. Yeah, 22-year-old Paul was found lying face down near the dog kennels, and the injuries to his head were brutal. The gunshot to his head had dislodged his brain from <gasps> his skull, and the only thing left of his head was his face. Wait, where did it come in? Where did it go? God, <laughs> I Joe. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. That's not, no, that's not why I was asking him. Just how, how was his face still there is what I was asking. Do, do you need a minute to recover? Are you okay? Oh, okay. You just like, where did it come from? Where did it go? <laughs> where did you come from? God, I Joe. No. Um, I, Anyway, I mean, how, how was his face still there? So I think it was, he was shot point blank. So it was, I think, angled in a way away from his face. So it had blown his skull and brain out. I guess that that makes sense. I'm thinking of it either like directly looking at his face or from the back of his head, either way, like horizontal to the ground and either way, I can't imagine your face being there, but if it's angled, like terrible. I'm sure I'm going into much more detail in this than and I need actually, to. And actually, I, I think with a shotgun close range like that, I think it, mm. it it is destructive, but I don't know how far the bird shot or pellets actually go. Mm. So I guess maybe he could have been shot directly in the back oh. of the head, but it wouldn't be enough to like get to it his just face. Would it would just cause yes, everything. Yes, up to a certain yeah. point. Okay. Now that we've cleared that up, thank you. Please, <laughs> please continue. You're welcome. I'm sure there's trial testimony on that that Ooh. we will be covering in the next episode. Excellent. Ish. Maggie was found further away from the dog kennels, facing away from Paul as if she had been running away. Oh. She'd been shot five times in the chest and back with an AR-15 rifle. Whoa. Okay. Some of the bullets striking her after she had already fallen to the ground. Oof. That's aggressive. She was only 52 years old. Mm. 
The Carlton County Sheriff's Office arrived first and secured the scene. Sergeant Daniel Green was wearing a body camera and captured those initial moments in speaking with Alec. Alec appeared distressed, and he did let Sergeant Green know that he had a shotgun leaning on his truck. The sergeant walked over and said, this is the gun, and Alec said, yes, sir, then volunteered. This is a long story. My son was in a boat crash. <laughs> he explained that Paul had been receiving threats from strangers, but he never thought they were credible. He said, I know that's what this is. I know we say all the time that we never know how we would react in this type of situation, but this part is just incredibly bizarre and like actually cracks me up because me and my friend always say that when someone's about to lie or they're about to like exaggerate a situation or justify, they'll be like, okay, what had happened was, (laughs) you're like, let's go back. What had happened was five years ago, um, I bought this thing. So for him to be like, my my wife and my son, what had happened was there was a boat accident two years ago. Like it's so... Okay, except that I feel like that's exactly what I would do because all of that would be going through my head of like, this is all relevant information. I'd be like, they must know everything that all this... And I would just word vomit all of it. So I think that I would actually do that even if completely innocent. Okay. Well, that's fair. I appreciate that take on it. And I do say like, you never know how someone's going to react, but I just thought like, he's like... He's like, yes, sir, that's my gun. What happened was there was a boat accident two years ago. And you're like, okay, what? It's what? hysterical. I just, I know I would word vomit. I don't think that's the situation here. I think it's more in your, your experience side of things. Uh, but that's what I would, that's what I would do. And now you're going to laugh every time someone goes to tell a story and they're going to be like, okay, so what had happened was, and you're going to be like, mm. that maybe is how you should start your next case. <laughs> <laughs> On June 7th. What had happened was. <laughs> I'm going to forget we had this conversation. You're going to do that and I might die. <laughs> Alec kept asking the officer, did anyone check them? They're dead, aren't they? Oh, God, they're dead. Hmm. The sergeant said later that any reasonable person would have known that based on their injuries, that they were no longer alive. Mm-hmm. Which actually begs the question of why he had to turn Paul over in the first place when he first came across their bodies. Or check them for a pulse. Right. Right Mm -hmm. now, again, as you said, you don't know how you would react. Maybe you're just like in complete shock and your brain is like, I need to check to see if they're alive, but still. And also him, I put like devil's advocate. It Mm -hmm. could be a weird coping mechanism for him or like a reaction to the shock, like him voicing the unthinkable to the universe. Like they're dead, aren't they? Oh oh my gosh. Like they're dead. Did Did anybody check check them? Like, yeah. Did you check? Can you, like, are they dead? But like, Mm. I mean, Paul was missing half of his head. So like, I think like, yes, the answer is yes. Unfortunately. Yes. Yes. The officer noted that Alec looked distraught, but he never saw any tears, and Alec was able to coherently answer all of Sergeant Green's questions. Mm. The body camera footage shows Alec was wearing a clean, crisp white t-shirt, khaki shorts, and colorful Nike shoes. The sergeant noted that he never saw any blood on Alec anywhere, shirts, pants, Mm. hands, arms, nowhere, and there was also no knee or footprints noted in the blood surrounding the bodies. Hmm. While Sergeant Green was getting information, Alec was huffing and puffing, very upset. And then he goes, clear as day. How you doing? (laughs) Someone was walking behind Sergeant Green, and then he goes back to huffing and puffing. And I had to note it because it was the most... Oh, I can picture it. Like, it was just the most disingenuous thing that I've heard. He's literally like, yeah, my son. How you doing? (laughs) Oh, my God. And I just thought of... um, this is like a little personal story. I was just trying to think of like the hardest time I've ever right. 
cried. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I thought of was when my daughter was in the hospital and Mm -hmm. they didn't know what was wrong with her and her heart rate kept dropping and the doctors didn't know why. And they brought in like the little baby resuscitation device and like put it on the bed next to her. And I was so distraught. And I remember crying. I cried so hard that my Apple face ID did not recognize me Mm -hmm. to unlock my phone. Like I was Mm -hmm. hysterical. And I can assure you that if a nurse walked in, I wouldn't be like, (laughs) how you doing? (laughs) Yeah. No, you can't even like, if you're genuine and maybe this is just also my experience, but if you're genuinely crying like that, like even if I have stopped the crying and I'm not quite as hysterical, my voice literally can't Right. Make the noise that it normally makes. So yeah, and I, I will am completely I'll, with you. I will play it for you. And maybe I'm reading too far into it, but it like mm. it stuck out to me. Yeah. So much. And they did point it out at the trial because yeah. they're like, what did he just say? And he was yeah. just like, How you doing? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> like <Matt LeBlanc. laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He was Joey for a minute. Yeah. And then he was like, Oh wait, I'm sad. <laughs> yeah. So I I don't like that. I just I think you like physically can't make your body turn it off like that if it's real. No, but no, it sounded know. very, like, very flat to me, but mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll dissect it. Mm. Yes, we will. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Brothers, John Marvin Murdoch, and Randolph Murdoch IV arrived to the devastating scene to comfort their brother. Mm-hmm. South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division, a.k.a. SLED, was called in and arrived to the scene at 11.47 p.m., which I realize we talked about SLED in Sammy Josephson's case. Oh, I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Alec was interviewed that night by SLED Special Agent David Owen, who was the lead investigator on the case. According to Agent Owen, Alec seemed clear-headed. Agent Owen reviewed Alec's day, as we already discussed. He also asked Alec about whether he could think of anyone who had done this or think of any reason why this would have happened, and Alec mentioned the boat case again. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. It's unclear what information police had at that time or what their theory of the case was right off the bat, but they issued a public statement the next day that there was no danger to the public. Which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, okay. So even if we think, so if we think that it was Alec, then okay, he's probably not going to shoot anyone else. Mm -hmm. And if we think it's someone targeting um, Paul because of the boat accident, then everyone else is probably also safe. So, um, so they, they had have to, to believe think that. one of those things versus just an intruder who, right, right. Or I guess there could be option C that. They're just after the Murdochs for their money or blah, blah, blah. Right. But either way, nothing beyond that. Okay. So their theory had to be from the start. You're right. That that Paul and Maggie were targeted. Right. Yes. Doesn't matter who by, but they weren't a threat to the general public. Yes. Sled officers went with the information provided by Alec and looked into the teens who were on the boat the night that Mallory died. Sled was most interested in Anthony Cook, given how outraged he was at mm. Paul the night of the accident. Okay, fair. They said to him, we need your alibi. You're our lead suspect. Sled took DNA samples from all the people on the boat, but there was no evidence that any of them had any involvement. Morgan told Sled not to overlook Alec as a suspect. I like that. Yep. Alec was interviewed again by Sled on June 10th, 2021. Alec answered all of their questions and tried to remember as many specifics as he could. Alec's father had been present to support him at that interview, but he died just a few hours later. That's sad. It is sad. Alec and Buster had to bury Maggie, Paul, Oof. and their grandfather that following yep. weekend. Well, Alec's father, Buster's I grandfather. I yeah. followed. Surprisingly, because the names usually throw me off, but I know. Yeah. I got it. There's a few of them. On June 25th, Alec and Buster Murdoch announced a $100,000 reward for anyone that had any information that would lead to an arrest in the double homicide of Paul and Maggie. Alec was interviewed a third time by SLED on August 11th. 
Corey Fleming was present with Alec, and they thought that they were there to get an update on the case. When Agent Owen wanted to ask questions, Corey objected. He said he wanted to hear the new information first, and Agent Owen said the information he could he could provide was part of his questions that he had hmm. for Alec. He just needed some clarification on some things. Uh-huh. Corey demanded to know if Alec was a suspect at that point. Although Agent Owen would not commit to a yes, uh-huh. he said it in a roundabout uh-huh. way. He said that in every homicide investigation, they start with the people closest to the family and they work to eliminate them. He said he has not yet been able to get Alec out. And until he can, Alec is still in it. Corey, Corey was satisfied with that answer. Okay. For the first time during this interview, Sled divulged new information to Alec and confronted him about clothes he was wearing in a Snapchat video. Oh, Agent Owen had a Snapchat video from Paul's phone where Alex was fixing a tree on the property wearing a blue shirt, khaki pants, and brown shoes and asked Alec when he changed out of those clothes because that's not what Alec was wearing when officers arrived to the scene that night. And how much blood was on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. where did those go? Like legally blonde style, (laughs) your boyfriend's name is. (laughs) Alex said he didn't remember a fruit tree and Agent Owen described the Snapchat video again. Alex seemed confused and asked what time of day it was. He thought he would have changed already by that point. Agent Owen told him it was dusk, and Alex said he must have changed when he got back to the house after riding around with Paul. Agent Owens also surprised Alec with a question about a comment made by Rogan Gibson, Paul's best friend. Hmm. Rogan Gibson had identified Alec's voice in the background of a video he said was taken at the kennels around 9 p.m. the night of the murders. Agent Owen asked if Alec had been at the kennels at that time. Alec said at 9 p.m.? No. Alec was adamant that he was never at the kennels prior to leaving for his mother's that night. Mm -hmm. He said he wasn't sure who it could have been that was on that video, but it was not him. Mm -hmm. Agent Owens also asked Alec about how he loaded his hunting guns. He said hunters often have certain ways of loading guns, and Alec didn't give a specific response. Agent Owen said that based upon the shell casings present at the scene near where Paul's body was found, one of the casings was from birdshot and one was from buckshot. Agent Owen said the shotgun Alec had with him at his car the night of the murders was also loaded with birdshot and buckshot. And the Murdochs also had a gun room on Moselle that had over 28 guns and there was a shotgun out on the pool table that was loaded with birdshot and buckshot. Okay. Alec basically said he was under duress and didn't know what he was doing. He just grabbed whatever ammunition was there to load the gun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Agent Owen said police were certain that Maggie and Paul had been killed with family guns. I think that, yes. Mm-hmm. I think so. Came right out. Yes. <laughs> Although there wasn't traditional ballistics that could have been done concerning the shotgun, the Murdoch shotguns were all loaded with those mixed pellets. Mm-hmm. And Maggie had been shot by an AR-15 and the 300 blackout shell casings that were left at the scene near her body. 300? Yes. 300 is the type of ammo. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, it's not 300 bullet individual bullets. I got it. Yes, no. It's like military ammo for hunting. Yikes. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make it better, but... No. This, again, this is like an assault AR-15 assault rifle. So 300, the 300 blackout shell casings that were left near her body matched casings that were at the shooting range on the property, as well as casings that were near the steps. Mm -hmm. They also had boxes of this ammunition in their gun room. All I can think about is the mad TV with Stuart boxes and boxes (laughs) and boxes of desitin. It's next to the vagisil. The what? The The vagisil. Okay. Please go look that up on YouTube if you haven't. If you haven't seen it. 
Notably, Alec never turned over any guns to the authorities for them to exclude the guns as being the murder weapons. In fact, three months after the murders, a YouTuber was flying a drone near the house and he got footage of John Marvin and Buster removing eight guns from the house on Mazelle, which is sketchy. Super sketchy. He actually thought that it was police executing a search warrant and then he realized that it was the Murdochs. Oh my God. And I'm not a hunter. Maybe eight guns is a reasonable amount to go hunting, but it seems like At a lot. At one time, I don't think so. It seems like a hunt, lot. So I don't know. But what if you need like two it, in each truck? This is not golfing. Okay. You don't need it. You don't need a nine iron. I don't golf That's either. <laughs> we don't golf. We don't hunt. We don't do outdoor Sorry. activities. Sorry guys. I'm outdoorsy in that I drink on patios. <laughs> So based upon the August 11th interview, Alec must have been starting to feel the pressure. Sled could not eliminate Alec as a suspect. Things would only get worse for Alec from here. On September 2nd, the pimped law firm, the law, his law firm, oh. P-M-P-E-D, but it looks oh, yeah. like pimped on it my does, paper, yeah. began an investigation into Alec after finding a suspicious check on his desk. Oh, their investigation revealed that he had been taking money from the firm and clients for years. I would say that shocks me, but it doesn't. It doesn't shock you. No. The following day, September 3rd, Alec was confronted about his theft and was asked to resign and did so that afternoon huh. from his family's firm. Like, way to leave yeah, the legacy. Like, weren't you going to get all that money already? I'm pretty sure he was already getting all yeah, the money. Yeah, like, what do you need? Yeah, all right, well. Although Alec's indiscretions hadn't yet been publicly announced at that point, Chris Wilson, Alec's longtime friend and fellow attorney, found out about the firm's allegations on September 3rd, and Chris was absolutely devastated. Mm -hmm. On the morning of September 4th, Chris confronted Alec about the allegations that he'd been stealing money from clients. Alec broke down and confessed to Chris that he had been stealing money in order to fund his decades-long opioid addiction. What? This was news. Uh not the direction I thought you were going to go. Mm-hmm. Chris was so hurt because Alec had stolen $192,000 from him. Oof. In January 2021, Chris and Alec worked on a personal injury case together, winning $5.5 million. They cut for the firm. The cut for the firm was $792,000. Alec asked Chris to have the check be made out to him directly rather than his law firm so that he could structure it through an annuity. He said the law firm had already agreed to this and Chris didn't question him because he trusted of his friends. Yeah. In July, 2021, Alex said that he hadn't been able to structure the funds like he thought he could. So he needed to pay it back and have it paid directly to his law firm. Probably because his law firm had asked him about the missing um, fees. Think? Yeah. <laughs> but Alec could only pay back $600,000 at that time. So Chris floated the rest of it on the promise that Alec would pay him back. Wouldn't that, I mean, I guess if you're just not even thinking about it, you have a lot of money, like that's not a ton to think about. But wouldn't you be like, why can't you pay back a hundred and whatever? Like 100. you have millions and millions and millions of dollars and I'm still stuck on that 1700 acre estate. Like, like you yeah. can't afford less than $200,000. Right? That, that should have probably raised the bells. But again, if you're not even thinking of it and it's, you're just, he's got reasons and whatever, but still. That's so, so, it's so hard to imagine numbers that big just <laughs> sitting in your bank account. Yeah. I'm like, if you move the decimal place 
point yeah, a 20 couple, bucks yeah a couple <laughs> i've got 192 dollars yeah, exactly i have that but it, it, in all seriousness like if i said if you said to me yeah i i gotta pay all this back but like i can't make the last 20 bucks i'd be like but you can you can afford 20 dollars like yeah of course right. i'll float you for that but like why right. can't you afford the 20 dollars exactly it's, and maybe it, honestly yeah. i think it's like that so and the only thing that I can think of is with, with like a partner at a law firm making mm. that much money, like he probably made $2 million a year, but a lot of it was probably in bonuses. Okay. True. So maybe it was just that he, you know, is overspending on his true, lifestyle true, true. and he needed his yearly bonus. Only a couple million anyway. <sighs> just you know? to be like a I could lawyer's spend a couple advocate. Million, oh, I could, I could put a hurting on a, on a couple million. <laughs> My really husband good. and I have this discussion quite a bit because... I think he's just like, oh, at some point, you know, you wouldn't need more. I'm like, no, no, no. There's, I could always spend more. Always. 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 Do you know how many houses I would have? How many yachts and private jets and like. Just so many Countries. Things. I don't know. Actually, a million dollars doesn't buy you that much. No, well, it's not you... a million. I'm saying like on oh. endless money. <laughs> oh, I was like, you could buy no. like half of one house at this point. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we digress. We do digress. <laughs> a month later, Chris hadn't been paid back. He was worried about Alec, but he was also worried about his money, which I, uh, yeah, that's a decent chunk of change. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to push Alec, but he was afraid that Alec was going to kill himself. And so he oh. had Alec sign a note promising him the money so that he could make a claim against his estate if anything happened. <gasps> morbid. Jeez. It is morbid. Really Yikes. smart though. If I had, Very if smart. I had almost 200 K yeah. hanging out there, I'd want, I'd want to, I'd want a post-it note yeah. signed, you know, yeah. <laughs> right? Like just in case you croak. Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. Chris was just so hurt after he learned that Alex stole it from him. And he felt like he didn't even know his friend at this point. Mm. Hours later, after that meeting, the same day, Alec was driving home and he got a flat tire. He pulled over on the side of the road to change it. Someone stopped to help him. And when he turned his back, they shot him in the head. Uh, Alec? Mm -hmm. I almost just knocked this microphone off of the table. I... I can't believe I'm going to ask this, but did he survive? He did. What? He called 911 for help and said he had been shot in the head and was bleeding profusely. Also, I love that you asked that question because it means you genuinely have not watched anything I about have, the trial. Do you have any idea how hot... <laughs> Steve's like, oh, have you heard about this? Like, no, I haven't. <laughs> yes. So he was bleeding from the head. He described the shooter as a white man younger than him, which, by the way, calling 911 twice in three months is a lot. Yeah. You shouldn't need to call 911 no. that much. No. Help arrived and Alec was airlifted to a hospital in Savannah and was treated for a laceration to the scalp, a small subdural hemorrhage, and a skull fracture consistent with two superficial bullet wounds. Okay, so not quite as aggressive as I had originally. Not not a shotgun to the back of the head type no. situation. No. Okay. No, he survived. I, I, I was like bracing myself on your furniture here. He survived. Okay. Over the next few days, Alec worked with SLED to investigate the attempt on his life. He gave SLED agents a partial description of the vehicle and the shooter. He met with a sketch artist to put together a composite of the man they were looking for. And based on the information they gathered, SLED got a search warrant for the home of Curtis Edward Smith. Oh. While this investigation was going on, on September 6th, Alec released a statement that said that he was resigning from the family law firm and was going to enter rehab for opioid addiction. Oh. The same day, the law firm issued a statement that Alec was stealing from them. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> I like, mean, I guess no, it would no. check out. Yes. Like, <laughs> that, yes, that makes sense. Why? Yes. Two days later, Alec's law license was suspended, effective immediately. Mm -hmm. This guy had a lot going on. Uh, yeah, and I'm wondering how much you would need to pay a person to, like, superficially shoot you. Was it, like, maybe $192,000? Maybe. Yeah, just maybe. wondering. Just wondering. 
so at this point, people are feeling like you, less trusting of everything in Alex's life yeah. and start questioning the attempt on his life. Uh-huh. Alex's wounds were superficial. And there was actually a woman that had called 911 the same day. She said that she saw a man on the side of the road with blood on him trying to wave her down, but she said it looked like a setup, so she didn't <gasps> stop. Well, good. first of all, good for her. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't that, stop. No. I, yeah, okay. I I'm, would call 911, but I would not stop. Right. Nope. Yeah, no. Nope. Nope. Alec also drove a Mercedes Benz that had run flat tires. So why oh. would he even pull over? Yeah. And Curtis <sighs> Edward Smith denied trying to kill Alec. Well, yeah. Kurt, <laughs> he's like, I, I done did it. <laughs> Curtis had played softball with Alec when he was in law school, and Alec had represented him on a few cases. And Curtis also did a few odd jobs around the Moselle farm for mm-hmm. him. According to Curtis, Alec called him the morning of September 4th and suggested that they meet up. They met up and Alec asked Curtis to shoot him in the back of the head. He said it would be better if he wasn't around anymore and Buster would be better off. Huh. Curtis refused and Alec pulled out a gun and <gasps> said, you have to shoot me. Oh my God. Curtis grabbed the gun from Alec and he said it went off, but the <gasps> bullet didn't hit either of them. And then Curtis took off. So he doesn't know what happened after the fact. My, this, I knew... I knew I needed to buckle up for this case, especially now that it's three parts, but Mm -hmm. I was not prepared for even all of these details through the case. The drama llama followed him. Yes. (laughs) Yes. With its sunglasses on. (laughs) About a week after the incident on September 12th, Alec admitted to Buster, his brothers, Randy and John, as well as his lawyers, that he had staged the roadside shooting as a suicide attempt. He wanted to die, but he didn't want to be the one to pull the trigger because mm. he wanted Buster to get his $10 million life insurance policy. Oh, of course the insurance. But in, uh, I, I'm struggling for an adjective because it is creative, <laughs> but I don't really want to give that compliment. Right. So That's it's, fair. In, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's the go-to. Yep. The next day, Alec admitted to Sled that the shooting was staged and that he was in rehab. He explained that Curtis was the shooter and said he'd been buying pills from Curtis for years, paying him up to tens of thousands of dollars a week. Mm. Based upon the admission from Alec, on September 16th, Alec was charged with insurance fraud, conspiracy (laughs) to admit insurance fraud, and filing a false police report. Curtis was arrested for conspiracy to commit insurance fraud and assisted suicide, but he maintained that he didn't shoot Alec and that he didn't know anything about the Hmm. insurance issue. But those damn insurance companies will get you every time. I know. (laughs) And Curtis went with the OJ Simpson approach for his defense. He said, I didn't shoot him because if I did, he'd be dead. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, fair. I thought he was going to say because something about a glove, but (laughs) if the gun doesn't fit, you must acquit. (laughs) Yeah. No, he just basically like, I didn't kill her, but if I did, this is how I would do it. He's like, if I shot him, he'd be dead. Exactly. Alec's lawyers issued a statement that Alec had been battling this opioid addiction Mm -hmm. for 20 years and Curtis Smith was one of his drug dealers. Curtis was like, no, I'm not a drug dealer. Right. It was basically just a battle to see which person could be made to look like the shittier human being. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he said, he said. <laughs> yes. Alec was released on a $20,000 bond so that he could return to rehab. On October 14th, 2021, the day that Alec got out of a drug rehab facility, Sled swooped in and arrested Alec again. But for what, you may be wondering. I am indeed. There, there's a slew of possibilities, but I don't know what they are. He was charged with two counts of obtaining property by false pretenses for swindling millions of dollars away from a client. Oh. 
Sled started investigating Alec for the theft of insurance money after attorneys for the estate of Gloria Satterfield filed a lawsuit <gasps> against Alec, alleging that Alec obtained a life insurance settlement and had not given her heirs a dime. Oh, I it took me a second to place her name, but she's the their housekeeper who she had is. died on um on their steps after allegedly falling. Yeah, that's them. the one where Maggie found her bleeding from the ear in and out of consciousness, the one where Alec who wasn't there told police mm-hmm. that Gloria told him that his dogs had tripped her before she was taken away in the ambulance. That Gloria Satterfield. Yeah. yeah. A month before that accident, Alec took out a commercial insurance policy on Mazelle. Mm-hmm. I made a face and then realized I'm on a podcast. So yeah, you did. But I always appreciate that you <laughs> announce the thing. I feel like I did. have to, you I know, love it. I love it. <laughs> After Gloria's death, Alec told Gloria's sons that they should sue him in order to collect the $100,000 from his insurance policy to pay for medical bills and other associated costs. Gloria's son, Tony Satterfield, felt that Alec had their best interest at heart and felt like Alec was his lawyer. However, Alec couldn't sue himself. Right. You know, it's a conflict of interest. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> so he pointed Gloria's sons to another lawyer. Hmm. Oh, oh, Who? oh. Laura. Can, uh, Corey? Corey Fleming, yes. Alec's college roommate and Paul's godfather. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Unbeknownst to Gloria's sons, Corey and Alec were successful in their lawsuits. He settled one for $505,000 and another for $3.8 million on a $5 million policy he never mentioned to the Satterfield boys. Now, I know you say all the time that you aren't a lawyer, Laura, and that you didn't go to law school, but I'm guessing that even you would know that you need to advise your clients about these kind of things. Mm, yeah, and like give them their money yeah. and stuff, you know? Typically. I would think. Typically. Most cases, anyway. Yeah. I'd say most cases. You would say that because you're a lawyer. <laughs> Allegedly. 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 It, appears, it appears as though you would typically do that. Allegedly. <laughs> he also never mentioned that he had settled the claims. He just kept all the money. Oh, my God. Diabolical. The Satterfield family only found out about the settlements because they were discussed and mentioned in the news in June of 2021 <gasps> when Paul and Maggie were murdered. <laughs> mind blowing like just the the conniving and just lack of caring for a human He's and a garbage, people a yeah, garbage human to do being. that and it's so you have so many opportunities to be like hmm, this is really wrong mm-hmm. so many you go through an entire court case and he from this family he didn't steal a little he stole right all of it yeah. all of it he yeah. didn't give them a dime oh my and he even to push them into like to a well to a uh, assuming that he had something to do with her death in the first place Mm -hmm. but then like to push them and be like oh you should sue me and do the insurance policy and then have him go to Corey and then have is just diabolical 4.3 million dollars wow after taxes like 20 bucks yeah okay (laughs) 2075 so the Satterfields hired their own lawyers to find out the details of what went down The sons had put their faith in Alec and Corey, who had to have lied to the court in order to get the settlement approved and to get the money dispersed without their clients knowing, which is a requirement in South Carolina. I'm going to guess like all states, but definitely South Carolina. Alec allegedly set up a fraudulent bank account to make it appear that the money would be sent to a structured settlement firm. He and those structured settlements and the annuities. You you remember that commercial that was always It's my money and I want it now. And then they would be like... um, Oh, it was, it was like, oh, call JG. What? Yeah. 877 cash now. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes, I obviously do remember okay. those commercials. You I'm do just, not. I don't. <laughs> This, so this is why I'm not very good at Jeopardy because I'm like, oh, I know this. Yeah. And then I can't recall it. Mm-hmm. And then they say it. And I'm like, yes, yes, that's correct. I got you. I got your back. <laughs> so instead of sending it to this settlement firm, um, Corey just wrote Alec a check to the phony bank account. Wow. And uh, Corey was later indicted for his role in this scheme as well. Wow. Sled opened a criminal investigation into Gloria's death at the request of the coroner, as well as based on information they learned during the investigations into the Murdochs. The coroner's request noted that Gloria's death was not reported to the coroner and no autopsy was performed. I don't even know what the trial's going to be on in part three. I literally don't even know what the... I don't even know. The death certificate noted her death was from natural causes, Mm. which is inconsistent with injuries sustained in a trip and fall accident. Yeah. I would say that they were incompatible with life. They were. (laughs) And very consistent with death. Yes. Yep. They were. Mm -hmm. In June, 2022, SLED announced that they sought and received permission from Gloria's family to exhume her body. Oh. They have begun the process, but I couldn't find any articles Mm -hmm. or information about it beyond June, 2022. So I believe that Mm. process is ongoing. Oh, that poor family that I can't imagine how, um, just upsetting to say the least, but upsetting to have to, first of all, to go through all of this in the first place, but to have to exhume the body when you just want to put her to rest and, oh, I mean, and okay. Aside from they did trust Alec, but they there's lots of interviews about how much Gloria worshipped that family yes. and was a part of that yes. family. And they did feel like they were, you oh. know, a part of that family. Yeah. I just said that like four times, but they it's, were. It's, you might say it's what kind of tradition? A family tradition. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a family tradition. I feel better now. Thanks. Okay. Are you ready for this one? No. Now, <laughs> before we go on discussing the Satterfield arrest, I feel like now is a good spot to just digress and tell you about another death that has been related to this family for years, <laughs> as if four weren't enough. Oh, years. Like, so prior to all of this. Okay, mm-hmm. please. Okay. This is the inception of true crime cases. I, wow. On July 8th, 2015... 19-year-old Stephen Nicholas Smith was found lying dead in the middle of Sandy Run Road in Hampton, South Carolina, with a pool of blood around his head. He was found only 10 miles from the Murdoch's Moselle property. Stephen had blunt force trauma to his head with a 7.25-inch gash on the right side of his forehead, as well as a partially dislocated right shoulder and cuts and bruises on his right hand. An EMS worker and a sheriff's deputy thought initially that the wound on Smith's head was caused by a gunshot. But sled agents disagreed, and there were no bullet casings found on the scene. Mm. Stephen was lying on his back in khakis and a green shirt with his loosely tied shoes still on his feet, cell phone still in his pocket. His car was found three miles away, his wallet still inside, and the gas cap open. The battery okay. seemed fine, but the car wouldn't start. Okay. So maybe he ran out of gas. Yeah, walking somewhere, yep. <laughs> Putting two and two together. But you have a cell phone? Yep, in his pocket. Okay. The case was initially handled by the South Carolina Highway Patrol. It was noted that there were no skid marks near Stephen and no vehicular debris anywhere near his body. Despite the fact that his injuries were not consistent with a hit and run, that's what it was classified as because he was Hmm. lying in the middle of the road. He had no injuries from his torso down and both of his shoes, which were only loosely tied, again, were still on his feet, which again, Dane Cook's get highly relevant tonight. You know, he's like, his shoes flew off. (laughs) None of this made sense, and his parents described him as skittish and said he would never be walking in the middle of the road like that. Yeah. 
The coroner examined Stephen and concluded that his head injury came from him being struck in the head by a semi-truck's mirror as it passed. Which, honestly, probably the most plausible hit-and-run theory based on the scene. Yeah, yeah. But the police questioned this theory and apparently suspected foul play, even though, again, it had been classified as a hit-and-run. The coroner even ordered a rape kit examination, which I okay. thought was very bizarre, but I think I read a note that's, that that's like standard in I an autopsy. I think that's good to do that. Why not? Just because, I mean, anyone can do anything to anyone. And, and that's the only chance you get exactly. during an autopsy, so just do it. Yeah. About five months after Stephen's death, SLED received a tip which labeled Patrick Wilson and Sean Connolly as persons of interest. Sean Connery? <laughs> No, Sean Connolly. <laughs> Wilson's stepfather, Daryl Williams, allegedly called investigators with a tip that his stepson told him that Sean was driving a vehicle and hit Stephen. Huh. But despite the tip, Buster Murdoch's name was on the tip of everyone's tongue. Stephen Smith was openly gay and went to the same high school as Buster Murdoch. Around the time of his death, there were rumors and whispers that him and Buster were a couple, and everyone was saying that Buster was responsible for his death in order to silence him about their relationship. Oh, that's awful. Buster's name came up several times in the investigator's notes, and apparently investigators wanted to talk to Buster, but then nothing happened. Mm-hmm. The story just faded away, and neither Buster nor anyone in the Murdoch family was interviewed, which is classic. Not surprising, exactly. Classic. Mm-hmm. The Smith family felt that the Murdochs had to be involved. At one point, someone even approached Stephen Smith's older brother, Chris, and said he witnessed Stephen's murder. This anonymous person reported that Buster and his friends were out smashing mailboxes when they came upon Stephen, and Buster decided to take advantage of the situation. That sounds a lot more. If he's, I'm assuming they have a bat or something, which they're hitting mailboxes with. Right. Yeah. He said Buster Murdoch had beat Stephen to death with the baseball bat because he was gay. <sighs> this must not have been credible enough. Or the person recanted because Buster was never arrested. Morgan Dowdy heard that Paul or Buster may have killed Stephen too. She said they were all home in the kitchen and they had just finished eating. She asked Paul and Buster why people were saying that they were involved. And she said they both laughed it off and said that they wouldn't kill that faggot. Which would fit with the homophobic uh, motive. Demanding justice, Stephen's mom Sandy wrote a letter to the FBI. In it, she noted that the Murdochs inserted themselves into the investigation very early on. The night of Stephen's death, she received a call from the authorities. The second call came from Randolph Murdoch, who said he heard about the case and was interested in working pro bono Mm -mm. as a liaison between the family and investigators. Mm -mm. Sounds just like Alec inserting Uh himself as a helpful attorney for all the teens in the boat crash. Uh Uh-huh. And walking around the hospital and telling them what to say. And yep, Mm -hmm. yep. Sandy got an article published about Stephen's death, all but naming the Murdoch family, begging anyone with information to come forward. But no one did. Ugh. She spent years raising money to try to exhume Stephen's body, looking for more evidence that this was, in fact, a homicide. That poor woman. On March 21st, 2023, SLED officially ruled that Stephen's death was a homicide. Oh, that was like a few weeks ago. It was. Oh my God, a homicide. Oh my God. So they're going to investigate more? So this case was reopened on June 23rd, 2021, based on information gathered in the Murdoch investigation. It's processing because <laughs> we're on the 15th case of this case. Yes. Oh my God. SLED began looking into Stephen Smith's death in Hampton County. The case had been reopened and SLED said that progress has been made in the investigation. 
Stephen Smith's body was exhumed over the April 2nd, 2023 weekend. (gasps) That was last weekend. Yep. For an independent autopsy. Oh my God. His body was exhumed, transported for a second autopsy, and then brought back to his final resting place. The private examiner indicated that the exhumation was a success and that the pathologists were able to collect (gasps) evidence, which the examiner said is not always the case when the body has been buried for so long. I'm so glad. Stephen's mother has offered up a $35,000 reward for anyone who provides information leading to the arrest of a responsible party for Stephen, money that she received through a GoFundMe. And that GoFundMe raised over $100,000 for the exhumation and private autopsy. Good, good. Now, I do feel a little bit bad for Buster because a lawyer representing Sandy Smith released a statement that there was no evidence that the Murdochs were connected and this had the markings of a hate crime. I'm still dying to know what Sled found in the Maggie yeah. and Paul investigation yeah. that led to all of this. But in March 2023, Buster released the following statement. I've tried my best to ignore the vicious rumors about my involvement in Stephen Smith's tragic death that continue to be published in the media as I grieve over the brutal murders of my mother and brother. I love them so much and miss them terribly. I haven't spoken up until now because I want to live in private while I cope with their deaths and my father's incarceration. Before, during, and since my father's trial, I have been targeted and harassed by the media and followers of this story. This has gone on far too long. These baseless rumors of my involvement with Stephen and his death are false. I unequivocally deny any involvement in his death, and my heart goes out to the Smith family. I'm requesting that the media immediately stop publishing these defamatory comments and rumors about me. I feel a little, I feel bad for him. Because they changed their tune later on. I'm just really surprised that, that they were so focused. Like, when you go back and you Google articles, like, Mm -hmm. everybody links it. Everybody links it to Buster. And it wasn't until um, SLED recently released the Highway Patrol information that people even pulled out the information about this hit and run with the the tip about the drunk driver. So the thing that kills me is yesterday there was an article. The pathologist concluded a manner and cause of death. Oh. But they won't disclose the information until the report is complete. So, yeah, that was yesterday. So this is fresh. 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 But I'm going to make a note. Hopefully, we'll have an answer by part three. So I can include it in there. Yeah. So we can include it in there. So that's Stephen Smith. I had to talk about it. Yes. Because it is inextricably linked with the Murdoch name. But it does not appear at this point that any of the Murdochs are involved. Fascinating. But it got reopened because of the investigation into Maggie and Paul's death. I am glad about that because I was wondering whatever happened to when his mother tried to put in a request to the, or whatever you do to the FBI, like that wasn't touched by, they're not, they're not tainted by the Murdoch family. So why didn't they look into it further? Is it just, they just can't take every case that people. They must get millions of letters. I guess millions of letters. So back to it. Yeah. Alec was arrested for stealing the Satterfield's money and was twice denied bond, which was shocking to everyone. While in prison, his son Buster and his brother John were in Las Vegas drinking and gambling. Well, what are you going to do, sit in visitors, you know, the visitor's lounge? Come on. But Alec was having a grand old time in prison, too, enjoying playing some cards as well. He won nine out of 11 games and won six soups and four beef sticks. (laughs) I thought you were going to say he cheated someone out of something. Maybe. Maybe. That That was good because he said the food was terrible. And he's just so out of touch with reality. There are recorded phone calls that were released. And he's talking to Buster one day and he's like, 
what's up, buddy? And Buster's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you sound really down. <laughs> and Buster's like, um, yeah. Like, my mother and brother are dead and everybody's talking shit about our whole family. Like, yeah. how are you being like, you know, you sound you sound down, buddy, while you're talking to me, like, through a prison now telephone. I'm just, now I'm just wondering if there's just, I mean, there there probably is something wrong with in his head. But now I'm just really wondering if he just is, like, totally off the deep end he's he is a full-blown sociopath (sighs) yeah full-blown full-blown in december 2021 alec was charged with more financial crimes oh my goodness i cannot keep straight honestly which charges were for which indiscretions Mm -hmm. at which time he has a lot of criminal charges and to put it mildly he stole so much money oh boy He had a little racket set up on his client's files. Um, He would use his buddy, Russell Lafitte, who was the chief executive officer of Palmetto State Bank, as the conservator on the client's files. Russell was moving money around between the files, (gasps) and they basically had it set up as a Ponzi scheme. (gasps) Lafitte extended a $500,000 line of credit to Alec for farming equipment, but the documents show a $250,000 cashier's check from the line pays back a loan Alec took oh. from one of the client's oh. other trusts. Oh my God. And then another payment into a client's trust for another loan was taken from a different client's oh trust account. God. So Alec and Russell were robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah. Nice little Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Oh. So Lafitte got in trouble too. Well, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On December 13th, 2021, a judge finally set Alex bail at $7 million. Alex lawyers agreed to pay the Satterfields $4.3 million, but Alec just remained in jail. That was not enough to get him out. Mm. And that's where he would stay. Because on July 14th, 2022, Alec was indicted with two counts of murder for the death of Maggie and Paul. Mm -hmm. He Mm -hmm. pleaded not guilty a week later at his bond hearing on July 20th. And his lawyer said that he wanted to go to trial as soon as possible. His bond was denied and he would remain in prison until then. Jury selection started only six months later, which is crazy fast. And we're going to talk all about that circus next <gasps> week. I'm so glad you did. I know this is so much work for you and just like unbelievable shout out to the quality of how you're presenting this. It is Thank you. so good. I I am so glad you're doing this three parts because I can't imagine a single detail you could have left out. No. And there's like, <laughs> so much good. So there are a lot of witnesses at the trial and I'm not going to go through each one of them, but there's just... There's new information that comes out oh. and Alec changes his story oh. and it's crazy. That just, just gave me goosebumps. It's crazy. It's oh. so wild. And I need, I, I need a full episode to talk about it. I just I do. I'm going to, I'm going to like lawyerly geek out for you all because you guys, it. you guys enjoyed yeah. Grim Legal Corner. So yeah. we'll do more of it. If you're enjoying listening to Grimm, please rate and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss any episodes. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make our day by leaving us a written review. You can find our page on Facebook by searching Grimm colon a true crime podcast. If you want to subscribe to our Patreon, you can go to Patreon and search Grimm colon a true crime podcast. It's just such a theme going on here. Follow us on Instagram at Grim Crying Podcast for information on future episodes and case photos. If you want to send us a case suggestion or just say hello, you can email us at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Listen, learn, and stay alive until next time because the future is grim. Grim.